0: What's poppin', everybody? This is Logan Murdoch from Real Ones, and I have some big news to share. On Saturday, February 18th, the Ringer NBA show will be hitting the road for All-Star Weekend for a live show in Salt Lake City. You heard that right. We are taping the pod in front of a live audience in Salt Lake next month, and we want you to join us. Pull up on us at the Stateroom in the heart of downtown Salt Lake. You can grab your tickets now at thestateroom.com. That's thestateroom.com. Doors open at 9 o'clock. Show is at 10. It's going to be a 21 and up event. Come hang with the gang and chat. Mid-season updates, draft preview, and even have a Q&A with us. Space is limited, so grab your tickets while they last at thestateroom.com or click the link in the description of this show. Hope to see y'all in there.
1: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000
0: miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles
1: and your car? Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United
0: Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. My name is Kevin O'Connor and joining me, as he does every week, is the Ringers' J. Kyle Man, What's going on, Kyle?
0: You know, I'm doing okay. I was. We were joking before the show that I, I feel like a little bit of a buzz in the air tonight because history might get made. We're recording this as LeBron is going to plan to score 36 points tonight. I thought that was hilarious that he was going to plan to do that, oh, to be that talented. But uh, you said you weren't <laughs> feeling the magic tonight, Kev. Are you not, uh, are you not a fan uh, of history?
1: I mean, a, a, as we speak, Cam Thomas is going off in the third quarter for the Brooklyn Nets against that the Phoenix so Suns. That is so you to say something for,
0: like for that. <laughs> for
1: third consecutive game scoring over 40 points on the table. My attention was focused on that and focused on draft preparation. I'll be turning my attention to LeBron James after we record this podcast, Kyle. Then I might feel <laughs> One the thing spirit the time. of Kareem.
0: <laughs> one thing at a time you one of those people that eats one thing on your plate at a time Kevin you no can't, you I, lo- can't. I
1: love combining at all Okay, I love, well, I love mixing my food together
0: I could see you being that kid in like kindergarten that like makes a huge just mess on his plate and is like getting it I don't know I could see that I could see you doing that I mean I do I do like to eat Kyle don't you like to eat you don't like to mix up your food uh, I mean, I think yeah. liking to eat and mixing all my food up into a big uh, <laughs> what, hillock in that way, Patton Hall's, what you used to call the KFC Bowls. Like, uh, did, did you ever eat the, the would, if you, if you like to do that, then you were probably a fan of like the, the, K, the KFC Famous Bowls, right? Did you ever try Never that, heard of know? it. Never heard of it? Well, no. Good for you. <laughs> That's a good thing to never have heard of. Yeah. Famous Bowls. Yeah. I thought so. I thought so. So, anyway. I'm I'm excited about it, but I'm I'm also excited about the draft. There's a lot to be excited about in life, Kev. Oh yeah, uh,
1: for sure, no doubt. Bubbling over. I I am excited to see LeBron tonight. I will say part of it, Kyle, is (laughs) in my brain. I've been planning on him breaking it Thursday night. So maybe 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 I'm just not getting ahead of myself on Tuesday night here. Oh, and and like if he does it, then it will be awesome. But in my head all along, I've been thinking it's going to happen on Thursday night on TNT against Kareem's old team with the Bucks. So that's the way I've been planning it in my head for weeks now when we've been projecting ahead now. So we'll see if it actually happens. But for this podcast today on the Ringers NBA Draft Show, we're going to be talking about a couple of different prospects that we haven't talked about at all, all season long in this podcast. And that's the two guys the play for Indiana. Indiana had a big game against number one Purdue over the weekend on Saturday the fourth. They beat Purdue 79-74. We talked about Zach Eady last week, you know, a top prospect, seven foot four, Behemoth for Purdue. Now we're gonna talk about the guys on the other side of that. That's Jalen Hood Shafino and Trace Jackson Davis. Those are the two names that you need to know on the Indiana Hoosier side of things. Kyle, between Hood Shafino and Jackson Davis, who do we want to talk about first? Who do we want to go talk about first here?
0: Uh, let's uh, let's just start with Hood Shafino. I okay. was going to say before we get, got going there that, like, Indiana, it's kind of a it, – it's odd. You know, me growing up in college basketball country, it is odd that we've gotten to the point where it's like – that it feels odd to talk about Indiana players because mm. there's only five in the league right now. There's OG, there's Thomas Bryan, Eric Gordon. Romeo was the last guy that was, like, a serious prospect that was in discussion. And then Oladipo, of course. Ah, uh, but I, I think both of these guys. One is more valid than the the other to me. Like I, I kind of feel like it's more likely that Hood Chapino sticks in the league, but and, which isn't a crazy thing to say since he was RSCI top twenty five right off the bat. I mean, what do what do you, do you have an opinion on that? Well, I mean, so let's just
1: introduce him here. So he's six foot five. You mentioned he was a top twenty five RSCI recruit, number twenty in his twenty twenty two high school class. He is a freshman. He'll be twenty years old next year as an NBA rookie, assuming he enters the draft and stays in the draft. Right now, he's a projected late lotto to early second-round pick at the lowest. Uh, He's averaging 12.5 points per game, 4.3 assists, 4 rebounds, shooting 41.2% from three, 42.7% from two, which is not a good number, and 68.9% from the free-throw line. With Hood Shafino, I mean, I like him. I like him a lot. I mean, he has feel. He has playmaking ability. He has size. He has versatility on defense. He has a foundation to be a long-term guard. Um, what, what are some of the qualities that you initially like about him on the surface, Kyle, uh, to help listeners understand who he is as a player?
0: Yeah, on the th- almost three and a half attempts from three, 2 I'd add in there. So he's a guy who does put his shot up. I, th- I think the thing that I like about him is that he... He doesn't make solid contact with the ball in terms of this like archetype guy who could like be sort of a an off ball point guard skill type player. I think he probably is more in the mold of a scorer. Would you agree or disagree with that? Like he he likes to shoot the ball. I'd say a little bit more than he likes to get catch it on the move and like make a big pass.
1: Well, I mean that that's that's the interesting thing with him because you you see the, the playmaking skill, his mm-hmm. ability in the pick and roll to create. We saw it against Purdue. we've seen it all season long. But he does settle a lot. I mean, he settles for a lot of jump shots. He doesn't really get to the rim a ton. And he's not a great finisher at the basket either. So I wonder if maybe over the course of time, if those skills develop, that's where the passing is unlocked with, you know, driving kicks to corner three-point shooters at the next level. Because right now, he just doesn't get to the basket a whole lot. Um, So, yes, I would would agree. As of now, he's more of the score-first variety as a guard.
0: Yeah, I think it, one, I think one thing is going to like trigger a response, like you said. And like, I think getting stronger is going to help him. Um, you're talking about pick and roll reads, even in that Purdue we <laughs> in that Purdue game specifically, he kind of ran the cycle on like, which is what you do against Purdue. This is like the challenge you're going to be met with. If like you're a guy who can shoot, which he can coming over screen, shooting the three. Um, yeah, in, in uh, let's see, 116 pick and rolls this year, he's, uh, Taking threes. not a huge sample, but he's hit fifty percent of them, which is respectable. But I think you hit on it. Like there was there was a sequence in that game where, as we know, Zach Eady, the the behemoth that we talked about last week, is dropping in that situation, and. He did he did one where Edie was overcommitted to him and he threw a pocket pass to Jackson Davis that Davis didn't even seem ready for and it just kind of went out of bounds, but it was the right read. And then on the next play, he engaged Edie again, realizing that he could do it, like because Edie was trying to challenge that pull-up jump shot, which he's good at. Like he has a pretty tight, quick release. Um, and he threw a really nice lob to Jackson Davis. Next play, the tagger overcommits to it because of the of that lob and Hood H- saw it coming. You could see that's the most important thing is that these things, I really, I think it was like in like a three-play sequence. They were right in a row. And I always talk about like sequential thinking. You want to see guys reacting to what's happening, thinking the game. And uh, he made like a quick live dribble pass to the corner the Corner, and the dude hit the three. But I do think that like the, the frontier for him is you hit it. Like his his efficiency, if you imagine there's a line, like in the cutting the free throw line in half, I feel like once he gets into that area, he's either playing too fast, he gets into a crowd, he takes weird shots. I think that's an area for him to really grow.
1: I mean, he the, the prior game before Purdue, he had more turnovers than he had points against Maryland. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he he does have a lot of high turnover games as well, where it's some sloppy passes into traffic inside the paint, you know, losing control of his dribble. He has a lot of sloppy moments as well, just to push back a little bit on Hood Sheffino. One of my hesitations with him when it comes to, you know, I'm redoing my rankings for a draft guide update in a couple of weeks. I think we're going to do it the week after the All-Star game. And I'm trying to figure out where to place Hood Sheffino. And one of my hesitations here, Kyle, is the fact that Yes, he's shooting over 40% from three, but he's shooting under 70% from the free throw line again here. And when you look at his high school numbers, according to Cerebro Sports, he shot 23.5% on the 90 attempts, 98 attempts they tracked from behind the arc at the high school level, 65% on 130 attempts from the free throw line. And he's had only really three unbelievable performances shooting the ball from three this year. He was five, five of eight from three against Iowa, 5-7 against Northwestern, 6-9 of nine against Ohio State. It's not exactly fair to remove three games from a 20-game sample, but if you remove those three games from his 20 games that he's played this year, he hasn't tried more than five threes in any of those 17 other games. And in, his, and in those 17 games, he's made only 27.3% of his threes, which is a whole lot closer to what he did over his time in high school. So yeah. with Hood Schofino, the shot looks smooth. It looks good but the free throw percentage still isn't comparable to a typical guy shooting over 40% from three. I just wonder what level is his shot really? Is he closer to low 30s? Is he a mid-30s guy? I don't, I don't feel full confidence that he's going to be a guy who's 38, 39% from three, and if that's the case, that does change you know, uh, the confidence level on him being a consistently impactful offensive player.
0: Yeah, and if he's not going to be that type of shooter, it's definitely it's the ripple effect thing again. It's going to affect every everything's connected, you know. I every like your your ability to do one thing affects the respect you get, which just affects the way that teams play you, so on. I'm preaching the choir here, but like I guess you mentioned like the way it looks, and I was thinking about if you compare him to like a guy like Jordan Hawkins, who is like 38.5 percent from three. If you watch him shoot the ball on the move. You kind of are relying on the eye test to either, you know, give you confidence or give you pessimism or skepticism. Um, I do like the way it looks. I don't think he he shoots an oddly like I'm not going to say it shots flat, but his shot doesn't have the arc angle that you would think like uh, for for as easy as he shoots the ball. It's pretty quick. I do think that he shoots in the mid range pretty comfortably off the dribble coming off of screens. He gives me a little Trey Mann vibe sometimes. I don't think that he has like the same dribble separation ability, but he kind of has like a compact, really, I was telling you, he has like a nice economy to the way that he dribbles the ball. Um, Are you confident in like him creating his shot at all at the next level?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he's at least going to be a a passable level, sure. Trey Trey Mann, that's an interesting name to bring up.
0: Yeah, I don't think that, I mean, Trey Mann gets really, really low with the ball, but I'm just thinking, like, size and kind of inclination as a player. I think that Shafino is maybe a little ahead of him as a passer. I was bringing up to you, though, that it's interesting to look at the guys that we compare. There's a few different guys that are that size and that, like, 6'4", 6'5", 6'6". I mean, Anthony Black, I would say, is probably going to measure it. I don't know, I feel like his height might come down when he gets measured at the combine, but he's right in that range. These guys that are, like, can play on and off the ball a little bit, um, I'm just wondering, Um, wh- have, has your opinion, c- because Black struggles to shoot the ball even more uh, and he has issues, where would you, how is your feeling like with Hood Shafino versus Anthony Black? Have you thought about that at all for your for your update?
1: I think with Anthony Black, I, I like his playmaking ability more mm-hmm. than Hood Shafino. And so like, he just feels like Anthony Black is that, you know, instant decision maker connective type. Hood Schofino, I mean, he can pass, but he's not that level that Black is. So I, I rank Hood Schofino below him in that sense. Um, obviously, Hood Schofino's sh- shooting the ball better. The results are better for him as a scorer. Um, so on the surface, you might feel better about him in that sense. But, I mean, Anthony, a- Anthony Black also a better at rim finisher at this point as well. Mm-hmm. Hood Schofino, he's you know, not taking a lot of shots at the basket. Making only 45% of his layups according to Synergy, only 32% of his floaters. He's logged only three dunks. He's not an above the rim guy. So, if the concerns about the shot are warranted, you know, let's, if that number does fall, like you said, he looks better off the dribble right now and he can pull up for mid range as well. But if those numbers do drop closer to what they were in high school, I mean, I don't know. He doesn't exactly have the at rim finishing that Black has shown
0: more over the course of the season as he's developed in his own way, too. So philosophically, just hypothetically here, just devil's advocate, we're just talking. Like you, so you're saying you would, you would be more willing to bet on playmaking feel with a lack of shooting and finishing rather than shooting that looks better and playmaking upside that needs to make a leap and finishing that me- needs to make a leap. You'd be more willing to bet on, on uh, Anthony Black's shooting coming around eventually, or would it be more useful?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I just think Anthony Black is the, the bigger, better overall talent than, than Hood Shafino. And that's, I mean, Hood solid. I, I'm just not there yet with his shot. That's yeah. where I'm I'm waiting to see these next, you know, four, five, six weeks, you know, as we get into March, uh, where does he finish the year? And also, even as the college year ends, Ends, Kyle. Like evaluation doesn't end. No, it's going to be about well, how is Hood Schofino performing in pre-draft workouts? What is feedback? How does his shot look? Does he play in the in the NBA Combine? You know, scrimmage. How does he perform there? How do the mechanics look? So, it's the evaluation will not stop at the end of the college season for Hood Schofino, But I, I, I'm I'm just I'm I'm skeptical. Yeah, at the, with the forty plus percent, I think it's a little <laughs> deceiving when you look at his history from the high school level.
0: Yeah. And it's always, I think, a nice thing that has come around about like, uh, I mean, I guess in the, in the past you can manually watch these things and log them. Like the types of shots that they're taking, I think, can yeah. be really indicative because sometimes guys that aren't on the ball a lot and making decisions, they might have an inflated percentage. But if you see them like coming off of screen or you see them like shooting in tight spaces, it's an obvious thing. Like the catch and shoot thing is just different than being pressured with the ball in your hands. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom.
1: Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's Huzzah! A toast to breakfast.
0: I like what you said about, like, evaluation not stopping. And for some guys, it's absolutely true. I mean, I guess you're saying that, like, is going to have the opportunity to potentially climb. Like, if he if he proves that his upward mobility mm. could be pretty strong.
1: But for sure, and he could end up being the type of guy that you know he's good enough that he's going to put his name in the draft, right? And he might, and he might go to those pre-draft workouts. He might go to Chicago, and he might realize, you know what? Another year, I could become a lottery pick. I could lock myself into the top 10 if I go back one more year and make a heck of a lot more money than I would now. So that's what his teammate Trace Jackson Davis did. Jackson Davis, you know, he's a senior at Indiana. He went into the NBA Draft Combine last year, decided to go back to school for his senior season, and now he might be the player of the year. Six foot nine, 245 pounds. He's going to turn 23 years old later this month, so he's on the older end. Uh, You mentioned earlier how is the guy you'd be more willing to bet on as a long-term guy in the NBA, understandably so, considering how much younger he is. But Jackson Davis, 19.8 points per game, 11 rebounds, 3.4 assists, 3.2 blocks, shooting 57.6% from the field, 70.6% from the line with his size, athleticism. He's probably, you know, late first round at best, uh, you know, considering he's going to be 23, um, but more likely early to mid-second round. I like Jackson Davis a lot, man. I, I I think with that verticality at the rim. The lob finishing ability. He's improved as a passer, you know, out of post-ups. He can he can even bring the ball up the floor a little bit. He can run DHOs. We saw that also against Purdue over the weekend. And then defensively, even last year as a junior, he was switchable. He's not mm-hmm. just a guy who plays drop coverage, even though he can do that too at six nine. He's a bit undersized as a traditional big, but that's where the versatility comes into play. He just feels like one of those guys to me that's gonna translate to important games in the NBA assuming all of these skills translate which i think they will with his length his verticality i don't see him see why he can't be a, vertic- uh, a versatile piece on defense for his team in addition to being being a consistent lob threat on offense
0: yeah i think i was looking at his role and kind of seeing him as more in that like category of undersized bigs that uh, i was probably downsizing his the class of guys that he's in probably a little much i mean he's probably I've thought of him as sort of PJ-ish, like thinking about what he's going to be like. The one thing that I like, PJ he, Washington, yes, yes, okay. yes, uh, not not Hairston or Tucker. Uh, I was thinking <laughs> about him. <laughs> another thing too, <laughs> PJ
1: Hairston's a good callback, man.
0: Yeah, that one just popped in. That, that guy, uh, that guy was
1: a bucket getter.
0: He was. Yes, he could shoot the he could shoot the rock. Uh, another thing too is that like he's the son of an, a former NBA player. People might not remember this guy if you're a little younger, but Dale Davis was like a, a bruising big guy for the Indiana Pacers back in like the 90s. 90s on some of those really physical teams. But uh, the other thing I like about him, you mentioned, I think it's hilarious. He, he seems, he has big hands, as we know. That's become like a just like a a, a joke almost for me, like take a drink. But he, whenever, he, I love him whenever he's in the high post. Like he seems to enjoy having big hands, which is hilarious to me. Like you'll, you'll see him just waving the ball around like in the high post, <laughs> which is cool because he, uh, he really, really, he does well in those high post situations on the right side of the floor. And he's improved a lot and produced a lot of open threes as a result of that. And that's an immediately, like we talked about uh, Jalen Slosson earlier in the year for Furman. But uh, I mean, I think Jackson Davis is a more amplified version of this. Great athlete, like you said, flies in, makes sort of rim protection, kind of plays like that. Um he, he skips the ball well i he's kind of his decision making and the stats back this up like over his career he's slowly uh become you know he's he's one of the most doubled post players in all of all of basketball i think he's like sixth overall in terms of like uh percentage of the time that he's doubled and that's because he's he's quick and can beat guys uh in in like no dribble situations um i get, i guess the question is do you think He's only shot like three threes in four years. Do you think he has to shoot? And do you think that there's any hope that he could shoot?
1: I don't think he needs to. I I don't think it's a necessity considering his verticality as kind of a, a foundational skill for him on offense. And, you know, he can run DHOs. I'm not saying, you know, he is this guy when I give this comparison, but. DeMontis Sabonis had the same questions entering the league as well. How important is it that he shoots? Oklahoma City had him spotting up from three, playing next to Russell Westbrook as a rookie. Indiana tried it out, having him shoot, and now he just doesn't, you know, he shoots an occasional mid-range jumper, but he's primarily an interior guy. He runs DHOs from the outside and he drives to the rim. That's his game. I'm not saying Trace Jackson Davis is going to become an all-star like DeMontis Sabonis by any means, But I do think with the type of role that he has, with the verticality, screen and roll, the DHOs, the playmaking, the ability to punish mismatches in the post, there's enough skills for him to to offer a, a role as a third, fourth, or fifth option, whatever it might be on offense um is it always a bonus if a big man can add a three-point shot yeah of course no doubt about mm-hmm. it and you know he's hovering around 70 percent from the free throw line this year a bit, little bit of an uptick from the past three years always been in the high 60s uh, from the free throw line he has good touch in the post from hook shots he has good touch on floaters maybe there's a chance he can become one of those corner three-point shooters or a low 30s mid 30s guy on spot ups like is that that is that enough, you know? If that if that's levelly reached, that feels like that would guarantee that he's going to play ten to fifteen years in the NBA. Oh if yeah, that's skill, I'd say.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. I think so. I think if if that happens, I'm kind of his shot has like a, a weird kind of a trebuchet thing where it sits at the top of his arc. He has is he has a lot of work to do. I mean, it's it's hard even to find. It's kind of like Zach Eady, but um, it's hard even to find footage of him shooting threes. You have to really go dig. Doesn't do it. Yeah, he just doesn't even do it. it. It's been it's like heaves and like you know the few that he has were like end of the game kind of desperate things. I'd be curious to see where he goes. Um, you know if they if they are able to work with him and, and invest in him and and bring some improvement out of him. Um, I could see him. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like what his defensive upside. I brought I brought up like Grant Williams, but he's bigger than Grant Williams. Um, and I'm trying to think about like. What, what it is, you mentioned some of the things like the high DHO skills, the passing, the defense, switchability is really huge. Uh, I'm trying to think of like what, is, what are the skills, the common denominator among those guys that stick in the league? What, what they are? What do, you, what do you think like the undersized big skills are that are the most important? That's why I think I asked you about the shooting thing.
1: I mean, it's versatility, uh, I think, on defense more than anything else. Um, I mean, I think with, we, you mentioned PJ, not Hairston, not Tucker. But PJ Washington, not Dozier either. But P. Not P. Carlissimo at all. No. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not Carlissimo. <laughs> <laughs> but PJ Washington, uh, I mean, one of the one of the reasons why he, you know I've been a little bit underwhelmed with his NBA career is because he just hasn't popped at, ever since his rookie year. He's pretty much stayed the same. You know, as an undersized big, fairly versatile, solid shooter. Uh, you know, he. Does a lot of things well, but he just hasn't made massive progress. But part of it with P.J. Washington, I wonder, and this is, you know, why you keep hearing his name and trade discussions. What would he do in a winning environment Mm. where there's uh, pieces around him to unleash his skills that were flashed in college or we saw, you know, here and there throughout the NBA? I think that's the type of type of skill that we're going to have to have from. Trace Jackson Davis is the defensive versatility are you I mentioned that earlier when when we were introing him uh, as a guy who's been versatile throughout college and can drop you know he can switch a little bit too Are, are you not quite as high on his switchability when projecting ahead to the next level as I might be
0: I think his feel has really evol- evolved over the... Because, I mean, to be able to do that, I think you have to kind of have some of the mental makeup to guard on the perimeter and things like that. I, and I do think that he's evolved on that front. I think his decision-making... Uh, Matt Painter was really actually praising him a lot after that game the other day. Um, no, I'm not low on his feel at all. I, I think more his... I don't know. I, his offensive questions are probably the thing that's kept him in school more than his defense, wouldn't you say? But but I guess if he was a plus-plus kind of defender that's... Uh, I don't know. I, th- I think it's the offense is the thing that's delayed his entrance to to pro basketball. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, for sure.
1: It, it is with Jackson Davis, and ultimately that's what's been so impressive about that. You know, rise in assist this year, the playmaking responsibility. He's done a done a really good job handling it for Indiana.
0: Yeah. I was saying, man. Sometimes when he whips those passes across, he has his hands. Seriously, are like one of those highlight rackets. You know, like whenever they, whenever they, he, uh, you like cup it and sling it like that. Oh, like from, he, from
1: he the t- post to those corner three shooters.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's 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 really impressive, and and he's got a really impressive catch radius too as a lob catcher. I think we should give him credit for that uh, because if you think about, I mean, there there it is right there. If he's going to be a switchable defender. If he could become a pretty good st- screener, I, I'd like to see him get a little stronger. Obviously, of course, he's 23 years old, but you know. And then you add in like the lob threat part of that. Um, a lot, not all those like DHO guys are great lob threats. I'm trying to think of like across the league if there's if there's a guy who's like a really effective DHO passer that's also a great lob threat. It's, it's an interesting combo,
1: yeah. Like a Bam type, you know. There's not a lot of you know DHO guys who are also finishing above the rim.
0: Yeah. He catches some really impressive stuff, and I, his arms being long and his hands being big. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's an interesting combo that I, should, I just thought of in the moment. I, I need to explore that a little yeah, bit.
1: Let, let me uh, let me pull up like the most frequent handoff players this year, and let's just like go down the list. You know, nineteen point five per game Sabonis, not an above the rim guy. Jokic thirteen point four per game, not yep. a lob guy. Bam at nine point three per game. That's the one we've already mentioned. Shengun nine point two. Not, not really, not really. Some, I mean, not he really. can be when he has space, but not like at the at the level of Jackson Davis, Ben Simmons at eight point nine. He, he's afraid of the basket. Jacob <laughs> Purtle. Purtle yeah. could get up there, but he's not. It's not to the level of Jackson Davis. Plumlee at seven point eight. Mason Plumlee, Yusuf Nurkic. Draymond Green, Kristaps Porzingis, Jonas Valanciunas, A lot Myles of flightless Turner.
0: birds on this list, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wendell Carter,
1: <laughs> yeah. DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton doesn't dunk the ball. He doesn't know how to dunk. Mo Wagner, Kevon Looney, Julius Randle, Scotty Barnes, Rudy Gobert. Those are the only players that log six or more dribble handoffs per game. So you're, you're right, Kyle. There's not a ton of guys who are John Collins-style pick and roll leapers. Yeah,
0: that are running yeah. DHOs. I think he's already about He His passing feels already better than John Collins. I'm trying yeah. to th- th- that we may have just hit on something there that that might be one of the the really big selling points for him is that overlap that you don't really get those two things. And and that gets and that I'm not going to say it chokes out the it lessens the imperative maybe that he shoots the ball if if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um but that that's fascinating. Um, that combination, and you know, once he gets into this like twenty three to twenty seven age range, is when he can really start to develop that. Of course, his his like post, his high post like scoring threat. I think will have to evolve for him for him to like get into that like manipulative passer range. When you think. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. For him to be more of a manipula- ma- manipulative.
1: <laughs> manipulative. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> to, to, for him to... Mani- I'll restate that.
0: I like the mistake yeah, <laughs> I, I do too. <laughs> I like when we get that laugh, that, that melodically escalating laugh. From yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: but he, he will need to develop more of the face-up game to manipulate defenses nice (laughs) (laughs) in in, in the way in the way you're describing kyle but i do think you know in the updated draft profile that i'm going to have on him i have a note in there i have here helpful playmaker who can bring the ball up the floor to initiate dribble handoff actions with his rolling ability his value will be heightened when paired with shooters who can deliver him accurate passes on the roll And I think that that's exactly what you're talking about there, Kyle, where if he has at least the requisite playmaking ability to be a guy that his coaching staff deems him uh, worthy of running dribble handoffs, if he's paired with shooters who can pass the ball, if he just rolls off those handoffs, he's going to get a ton of opportunities with defense's hedge or pressure against that player receiving the ball on the handoff. And that creates a unique threat that, you know, a lot of these guys in DHOs, when they receive the ball, uh, you know, after handing it off, when they cut to the basket, it's not for lobs. It's for you know, pocket pass, put the ball on the floor, finish at the rim with a layup, or kick it out for to another three against a rotating defense. He could be the guy that's finishing above the basket with ease, with wide open opportunities all the time. I, I like him a lot. I'm 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 not sure I'm ready to put him in the first round. Maybe that's just an age issue here. Um, yeah, but, I, but yeah. I feel like he's going to be in the league for quite a long time.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how like the defenders kind of their posture is different whenever you're coming off those DHO things because you know if if a guy is a serious lob threat that that affects literally where your hands are, it affects how you're like paying. I don't know. It affects It's going to affect the way they have to pay attention to him, and I, I think that's that's an intriguing thing. I'm kind of with you. The age thing is interesting to me. I'm kind of like. If he's that good a passer, it's like why didn't he elevate Indiana? You kind of have to weigh those things against each other. But there's also the thing that you said, which I th- I don't think he's like a floor raising passer, but I think he is he's a helpful passer. That was a good word. That was a good way to put it. I think he's extra playmaking. I don't think he's somebody that you're going to throw out there. Maybe he evolves as a scorer. Maybe he gets better, and you know he becomes he becomes more of that. But I think the expectation is that he's probably going to be like a secondary extra thing, which is great in today's NBA. You want to get as much of that on the floor as you can.
1: All right, Kyle. So those are the Indiana prospects that everybody needs to know. This past weekend, we saw Duke, North Carolina. We're not going to go all in here talking about some of the prospects in that game. Um, Derek Lively had his best overall performance of the year for Duke. We're going to wait till next week to talk about Lively because Duke has a couple more big games coming up. They face Virginia on Saturday, number eight, Virginia. That's our TV guide game of the week here. They have Notre Dame next Tuesday as well. They have J.J. Starling, another draft prospect that we haven't really touched on at all in the pod. So we'll save that conversation for for next week. But Lively was impressive, though, against North Carolina Kyle.
0: Yeah, it feels like something's ramping up, and I think that's the probably the best reason to, because he's put up his two biggest minutes totals and 13 blocks in two games. It feels like there's something simmering here, but we want to wait until we have a little more of a chunk of things to talk about. And I think TV Guide, I think we can repurpose it to use it in that way. It's like, you all watch that, and then we'll kind of like think about it together, and you all can kind of talk to us about what you saw and, and kind of have a dialogue about that.
1: Absolutely. And Victor Wembenyama twenty eight and six with another loss for Mets 92 this past week continues doing the same wild things that he has all year Kyle.
0: <laughs> it's just kind of fucking around out there sometimes, man. I mean, some of the stuff that he, I told you, it, it almost feels like a no consequence simulation for him at times, but he had some incredible plays defensively, maybe not quite. He was sort of disengaged at times, kind of opposite of lively. Honestly, I feel like lively is getting more engaged as it goes on. And I feel like Wimby was just kind of hanging out at times. Typical stuff. He did a crazy thing where he like did a Euro over a defender's head and dunked oh. it. Had a spin from the, from the free throw line where it was physically impossible for him to finish <laughs> the way that he did. But he did. It's just kind of the typical Wimby stuff. Kyle, this is a fun week.
1: We're, we're about to sign off from this recording here and watch LeBron James potentially make history. Become the NBA's all-time leading scorer. It's pretty unbelievable. Yes.
0: It is. It is. I feel a buzz and a magic in the air personally, but I'm not dead inside, so Kevin is. But, well, um. <laughs> I mean, the, b- before,
1: before I tune into that game, I'm going to watch the end of Suns uh, Nets right now. Cam Thomas is riding 30 points in, late in the fourth quarter. It doesn't look like he's going to quite crack 40.
0: Oh. It's we'll have to revisit bad. Cam Thomas yeah. here next week, too. We, yeah, can, we'll, we can do yeah, that. We'll talk we can about Cam
1: as well. See, if he, see what the Nets do. It's trade deadline week.
0: Who's, who's to say which history is more important? Cam Thomas going off or, or LeBron? You just balance it out, weigh it out. Whatever your conscience <laughs> thinks, you know? Which one's more important? I don't know. Who's to say? Kyle, this was a lot of fun. Hope you have a good
1: rest of your night. You too, buddy. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. Thank you to Jesse Lopez for producing. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the NBA trade deadline.